Hey friends, it's Kara Kay, and this is the Asking for a Friend podcast, a weekly show for the woman who has questions about herself, the church, and the world. We are all asking hard questions that affect us as women in the culture that surrounds us, and we are looking for a safe space to ask them. But don't worry, I know you're only asking for a friend. Hey friends, I have a really great episode for you today. This was originally not the episode that I had planned for this week, but with everything going on this week around us, I felt the need to step into this space. Um, So this week, if you saw in the news, there was a man named George Floyd who was murdered by the police. And it was a heart-wrenching video to watch and to see what was going on. So often when these types of things happen, I will see people post on Facebook and say, oh man, I'm so shocked. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, This is just so um, surprising to me. But when we say those things, we are not recognizing the hundreds of years of pain that black people have faced in our country. And this is nothing new to them. This is the, the things that they have walked through each and every day of their lives for hundreds of years in this country. And so I really just wanted to create space today to hear stories, to hear from a a black woman friend of mine who I trust, who I respect, who we can have very open and honest conversation. She's raising a black son in America like I am. So we have a lot of these conversations about raising our little men to be black men that are targeted each and every day. So I want you to lean into this conversation and, and listen and learn from my dear friend, Ashley. So how are you? How's your heart? How's your head? Okay. I'm not even, I'm already crying. So it's, oh, it's all right. I, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I can't look at pictures of my son right now without getting very emotional. Right. I'm tired in a sense of, I have a dad to think about. I have best friends who are guys to think about. I have a son to think about. I have brothers. I'm just, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I overslept this morning. Like we literally, I'm physically, it's not even like a metaphor. I am physically exhausted. I was supposed to teach yoga this morning and I had to wake up and text everybody. Like, I am so sorry. I overslept. I am physically exhausted. <laughs> yeah. So you shared a post yesterday that was just so good. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but would you share a little bit about what you talked about and kind of those feelings? I feel like a lot of people white women, most likely that are listening, probably have no idea that these thoughts go through the minds of black and brown women and men that it's, they're afraid to leave their house. They're afraid to do things and always looking out for each other. Take me through that process and what that looks like. Or you just said afraid to leave our house. We're afraid to be in our house. Like even last night, I remember I thought I had to check again. I'm like, is my alarm set? I'm not, yeah. I am way more afraid of a racist white person yes. than I am of a burglar coming in my house. I feel like the odds of a racist white person doing me harm are way higher than someone breaking into my house and yeah. trying to and murder my children. To me, the way I see the world, the way that the world keeps proving itself to me is that there's a much better chance that I could get pulled over or attacked at a grocery store or just be sitting on my couch eating oatmeal 
Yeah. <laughs> and the police run into my house. Like these things are terrifying and it's stuff we think about every single day. And in my post, I started so far back as high school mm-hmm. because I needed people to understand that this is not new. And this is not made up. This is literally a passed down fear from a system that was designed to kill us. Like the original American law enforcement system was designed to trap and enslave and kill us. That's what we're for. (laughs) So you have that same energy being passed down, being passed down. I have amazing law enforcement friends of all races. My uncle um, is in law enforcement. I have friends who is, you know, I can't even imagine sometimes I have friends not only who are in law enforcement, but I have like white female friends married to black male law enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. That's so many levels. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was talking in my post yesterday about just in high school of being 17 years old, being on high alert when I was out with my male friends that we're constantly looking out for them. Yeah. Making sure that they are making good because they get too comfortable. And we are taught because it's the truth. Like don't get too comfortable in these situations just because you laugh and you joke. And you know, there are certain people who will laugh and joke with you. And at the end of the day, will showcase their whiteness Uh no matter how much you guys have laughed and talked with each other. Right. No matter. If you grew up with each other, you played football together your whole lives, you played basketball together your whole lives. And at the end of the day, even this Amy Cooper woman with the guy in the park, I don't, I know nothing about her. Right. Really. Except what's come out. She, they said, is dangerous on a whole nother level. And I, we can get into that later. But because if you looked at her on paper prior to this, she probably looked like an ally. But as soon as she was given, as soon as she felt her white female superiority had been challenged mm-hmm. by someone of color, it all just came flowing out. Yep. <laughs> so yep. living in that fear of like, who can you trust? Who can you not? And then just even being young in high school, remember reminding your male friends, don't wear this, don't dress this way. Don't go here. Don't be out at night in this area. Don't be out at night in this other area. Um, and these are sometimes like the story I talked about in my post, the first one, that was our own neighborhood we were in. It's not like we were in some very upscale neighborhood that we would probably look like we don't belong in or whatever. Mm-hmm. This this was our neighborhood, but still don't be outside at night. You look like you're causing trouble. Why? Because you're outside. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You're outside. <laughs> like, and we just would jokingly just tell people, you know, like you look suspect. Stop. I even jokingly say it now. Like I locked my keys in the house taking the kids to school one morning and literally had to break in my house (laughs) to get in yeah I was like jokingly but not jokingly terrified because it's happened exactly I'm like I just locked my keys in the house and um, the kids are in the car and I'm like what can I do yeah to get in the house I was trying to go in through I literally broke the seal off my doggy door Uh uh-huh we don't have a dog but the previous people did so I'm like on the ground in my backyard, like reaching up, trying to break yeah. into my If the wrong person saw me, yeah. this could get bad really quickly. Right. But if somebody saw a white woman mm-hmm. laying on the ground, kids in the car in the front, they would yeah. have noticed, you know, they probably would have laughed. Right. <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? You need some help or whatever. But I look like I'm breaking in. Yeah. It's so 
difficult trying to maneuver. I have the things I have seen, not only being on that alert of making sure that my black men when I'm young are safe and protected and making good decisions. I remember being in the car with, uh, I talked about an ex-boyfriend in that post who Christmas Eve, my senior year of high school, he called me because he and his best friend had been pulled over by the police in his grandmother's front yard, laid out on the ground, face down in the ground. It was freezing that day, laid out on the ground in the wet grass while they searched their car, said they fit the description of some car they were looking for. Later, we found out it looked absolutely nothing like the make, model, nothing was the same. He came over to my grandmother's house that night. And I, I said that was the first time I saw him cry because he was just like, I don't understand. Yeah. He's like, my grandmother saw this. His grandmother was much older than mine. She's a much older lady. And imagine her heart. Yeah. Seeing her grandson, her little 17-year-old, 18-year-old grandson laid out in the front yard his, on Christmas. Yeah. Christmas Eve. And... This is just like nothing happened with that situation. Like those police weren't, you know, we weren't filming everything back then. Yeah. But it was still happening. That same boyfriend, I remember us all going somewhere for lunch during school one day and we were coming back to campus. I didn't know everybody who was with us, but he was in my car with his best friend. And there was a car in front of us. There was a car behind us with people. And I will never forget. I saw this with my eyes, sis. (laughs) Never forget a police car got in between my car and the car in front of us and turn their lights on to pull over the car in front of us. Mm -hmm. The guys in the car in front of us made a, made a right turn next to a church that was near my school. As they were turning, the police car was also turning. I saw with my eyes, the other police officer throw a bag of marijuana out of the window, A, a really small bag out of the passenger window. And then they got out of the car and picked it up like the guys had thrown it out of the window. Wow. I saw it. And I remember my boyfriend looked at me and he said, keep driving. Yeah. So we just kept driving and we went back to school. And it was just like, what, what just happened? What? Yeah. Like we weren't even coming from anywhere. Like nothing had happened. Those boys did get in trouble a lot. They just did. (laughs) But nothing had happened at that moment. I think we went. To like a Chinese food buffet for lunch. Should we have been doing that? Probably not. But anyway, <laughs> there are children of other races that skip school and go eat lunch all the time and no one places drugs on them and arrest yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. I, something you said is that they had gotten in trouble a lot. And I think that, that a lot of that is the problem that I see is that these horrible things happen and people start pulling out everything from their past. And it's like, well, it's okay because we found drugs in their apartment. We did this, you know, it's like, no, it's still not okay. It's not okay what you're doing. No matter if they were Mother Teresa or if they had been in prison before, you still can't treat people that way. Yeah, yeah, it just frustrates to no end. Something I've noticed, I think it's good on one hand that people are starting to catch on. I've noticed more and more people seeing these things happening because we do have the videos and things like that, but it's not enough. What would you say to somebody who wants to do more, but they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. I know one thing that we have to stop doing is 
you have to stop telling, like, and I said in my post, stop giving me a list of what I need to not do to stay safe. Telling me as a black person, this list of don't do this, don't do that, so that the racist white people won't find me and shoot me. Yeah. Is the same as telling a woman not to wear a short skirt so she won't get raped. Exactly. This is not different. It's like, you know, don't wear tight clothing and then the boys won't grab you at the party in high school. Right. So it's her fault because she wore. Yep. It's my fault because I had the audacity to go outside and be black at the same time. Yeah. Like, whoa. We got to stop doing that, that list of things. You can't do this. Like, why can't I live my life just like you can? Right. Like, just like you can. I watched another video this morning I shared of a man who approached these young men who are very successful, actually. I've I've researched them. Very successful, wonderful, just, you know, young black guys who were in a gym at an office building working out. Older white gentleman comes up to them, asks them, do they belong here? Who let them in here? They started recording him. And and I love how he so proudly said his name to their phone, like, I am so-and-so. He asked them, you know, what office are you supposed to be in? And they wouldn't tell him. So then he's upset. I don't have to tell you that. Who are are you? (laughs) Yeah. Stop first giving that list. And I think a lot of my white friends who are even still good intentions, have really good intentions sometimes, have to understand. I think you do a great job at this of understanding that you naturally walk in a privilege that we just don't. And that you didn't ask for. Absolutely. That you didn't ask for it, but you naturally walk in a mm-hmm. era of privilege that was just given to you when you were born. Right. <laughs> and I naturally walk in an era of oppression yeah. that, was, that I did not ask for and was given to me when I was born. And you have to see your black and brown friends like that. Yes. But I think a lot of white women don't get that. I don't think I understood that until probably four or five years ago when we adopted Kendrick. I didn't understand. I didn't have to, exactly. I didn't have to even think about my privilege because it was just, it was something that I just had. It wasn't wasn't privilege. It was just your life. Yeah, exactly. It was my (laughs) life. Yeah. Once I realized it and started learning about it and having conversations like this, it really opened my eyes. And I hate that it's taking things like this to open people's eyes, but I hope that it does. I hope that women will start to walk and make the change and understand, you know, speaking to white women, I hope that we can start making a change and creating space for black women to have space, to use their voice, to live their lives that we can come alongside you and be together in this and support you. Have you seen the documentary 13th? Yes. Okay, so let's, just for a second, let's talk about 13. Yeah. You're saying, what can things people practically do? Documentaries like 13. If you're listening, it was on Netflix. I don't know if yep. it's still on Netflix. I think it's still there. I think it's still there. Sit down and watch it. And then call your Black friends. If mm-hmm. you don't have any, problem number one. Yeah. But call your Black church members. If you don't have any, problem number two. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, you don't have a readily accessible black person in your life to have a conversation with (laughs) first problem yeah yep and talk to them and it's okay to be confused like watch it be confused and be like what or watch it and if you think some stuff like well is this true it's okay for you to feel that way because you don't know 
but then listen and understand that there is a organized elite system in place to capture us and never let us out with no crime or a crime. It doesn't matter. I think a practical, I've even seen people recommend that not just watching 13th in your home, we're social distancing right now, but watch it together. Yeah. Because I want you to see, I'm going to cry again. (laughs) As my white friend who loves me and loves my children, I want you to see my face when I watch it. I don't want you to talk to me later. I want you to see the parts where I start crying. I watched 13th and didn't learn anything new because I've been told that this stuff my whole life. I watched it and it's really breaking down the 13th Amendment and what it actually meant and what it actually did and how prison labor just became legalized slavery. It just, and, and how you have, and how so many systems how many communities and, and, and economies would completely crumble if they didn't have prison labor? That's yeah. a problem that you built industries off of prison labor, which means you literally have no plan of erasing crime because you need crime for those industries to thrive. Like a crime right. has to be committed or someone has to be arrested and in prison for your entire industry to work. Like that's a problem. It puts us in this, it puts us in this place of, we're just always working against the system. So watching documentaries that are recommended by, you know, Black people for their white friends, like if you really want to understand, read these books, watch this documentary, have this conversation, and be okay with things that, um, another thing I would say is for some of my white friends to understand that there are questions that you can't ask, and that's okay. Right. And I, I don't have to say why you can't ask. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that question of, um, like, yeah, that was inappropriate to ask. Or, yeah. um, for example, let me give an example. So people are like, what are the questions? For example, the situation with the young men in the gym, I think it was yesterday. Someone commented, and I honestly think this poor girl probably had, she's just one of the aloof to her privileged people. Who she said, this is absolutely horrible. And, you know, he was so rude. And that was, he was really singling them out. But how do we know it was racism, though? And I'm just like, oh, honey. and people were attacking her. She just doesn't know. She's confused. Because in her yeah. world, it could have just been because, well, this was a problem. She could have thought, you know, he just felt like they didn't look like they belong. What does that mean? I'm a man in gym clothes in a gym. What else do I need to look like? Right, right. <laughs> so, and it's, it's under, like, you can't ask me that. Yeah. Was it really racism? There are some, some questions you just have to think in your head. Just think yeah. that one to yourself. <laughs> you can't, and you have to be okay if I don't want to answer it because I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's a huge thing for there to be, I think it's smart for white people to have another white outlet someone they trust, someone that's doing the work alongside them. My husband's that person that I ask the dumb questions to. When I don't understand something, I ask him, hey, help me work through this. Help me break this down. It's not something that I'm going to go to my black friends and ask because that's not your job. It's not your job to educate me on my privilege and things that I don't understand. There are great conversations that we can have and we should be having, but as white women, we shouldn't expect black women to do all the work for us. And I think that's something important that I've learned 
over time, the importance of having the relationships, but not expecting, expecting them to teach you everything. There are some amazing women out there that are doing the work and teaching. And I respect them so much for sitting in those spaces of white privilege and educating women. I think a lot of people is the delivery. They don't like delivery of some black women of how they deliver the message. Again, not my job to make this sound easy for you to hear. Yes. So you have women like Amanda Seals and people don't like the way Amanda Seals right. presents information sometimes because she's very loud with it and very yeah. angry when she speaks. And she's like, I'm, I sound angry because I'm angry. They're like, yeah. Amanda, you sound so angry. Well, I'm angry. I'm, I'm upset. So I yeah. sound angry. Don't you sound angry when you're angry? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And then you have Angela Rye, you know, who then I'm giving out names. You guys look these people up on yep. Instagram. You should be following and lots of people that you can learn from. You should from. be following lots of people. You have the Jamel Hills of the world. It's maybe Jamil, but Jamel Hill of the world who people, they get attacked then when they do speak out about the privilege and try to educate because they didn't say it in the right way. Quotation marks. The yeah. right way. I don't, I don't know a right way to tell you because even as we're both saying, there are white women who are really allies and in the trenches and really helping. But then I reverse back to the fact that there are a lot of people who we believe are allies in, in the trenches and working. And then those moments will happen when they can tap into the white privilege yeah. and it comes out and we're like, dang, you too? Yeah. <laughs> because we're all racist. It's just in us. It's just part of us. And that sucks, but that's just how it is. And I hate that. It's so awkward because then you're like, well, who can you try? And I'm going to say this, this is going to sound awful, but this is the truth of growing up as a young black girl in Alabama. Yeah. (laughs) I'm in deep Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) The conversations, me and my best friend were talking today, the conversations in the atmosphere we're trying to create for our children, that love everyone atmosphere, that environment of Christ, you know, to just really teach our children that way. But at the same time, we have to make them aware of what's going on. I remember I said, my parents necessarily didn't have to have too many like real conversations with me because they openly had conversations about racism to each other in front of me. So I just heard it. And there were, like I said, this sounds awful, but it was this thing of you can't trust white people. And not just you just can't trust white people. It would always be added on. You can't trust white people, especially white women. I, I cannot count how many times I heard that growing up. Yeah. Now keep in mind, me and now my niece, my niece graduates high school today. It's amazing. My niece, her best friend is white. Mm-hmm. Most of her close friends are white. I had a lot of white friends growing up. So it was always an awkward shift for us. Of, right. We really care about this white person though. And they seem yeah. really, really nice. Mm-hmm. But we also didn't want to ignore what our parents were saying. Like, do they know something we don't know? Right, right. And I hate to say it. None of my white friends from when I were young, when I was younger, are still my friends. Yeah. All my white friends now are new, because the ones who were my friends when I was younger, they eventually disappeared. Yeah. Eventually, their our lives went in different directions, and even we might have still been in the same school in the same activities. Their parents pulled them in a different way than where my life was, and just over time, the difference was known. The movie, the play, um, American Son. 
Mm-hmm. Even with that, it's like that was the struggle with her son of mm-hmm. being biracial, growing up in a mostly white environment, but then coming to terms when he grew up with the fact that I'm still black and my friends are white and they will never understand. Their privilege will always reign over me just being their black friend. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would become to my white friends. I'm their black friend. Right. And so it's, it's a lot as a mom to try to figure out how to process this. My children are five and six years old yeah. and trying to, like, they have to know what's happening because I can't afford to not tell them what's happening. I was on my computer when I scrolled by Facebook and saw the photo of George Floyd yesterday. Mm-hmm. And my son was sitting next to me and he asked me to go back because he saw a police car and he loves police. Yeah. I've even had people... I, Rewind. I've even had police officers be rude to my son and not speak to him when he says hello. Like, what is that? But anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he saw a police car, so he wanted to go back. And in his mind, he saw it so quick. He thought he saw a picture of a man laying under a table. And he's like, why is he under the table? And I said, baby, I don't know what picture you're talking about because I kept scrolling by. Mm -hmm. And he made me go back and find it. And of course, he saw a police officer on a man. And his first question is, did he commit a crime? Right. Is he a criminal? I almost said yes, just to make it easy to explain because I didn't know how to explain to him that a police officer would be doing that to someone who wasn't a criminal. Right. And I told him, I was like, no, baby, he's not a criminal. And he's like, well, why is he doing that? And I just looked at him. I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And I said, I think the police officer is just really confused. And he's not doing the right thing right now. And he doesn't, he doesn't know he's not doing the right thing. I didn't know what to say because he thinks police officers are amazing (laughs) as we should, because they should be. That's what it should be. Yeah. (laughs) They should be amazing. He thinks that that's where they, you know, they protect us. I've always taught them that if we're in a big crowd and something happens and you get separated from me, always find a police officer. Yeah, that's what we've always said too. Yeah, he'll get you back. Um, Yeah. And but then, so then to try to explain to them that police officers also do bad things. Yeah. I can't, that's like telling him that Batman did something bad. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's a lot to try to explain. These are conversations that my white friends with white children don't have to have. Right. They just do, they just do not have to have these conversations not in the same manner. They literally can just say, you know, if your child is getting ready to leave the house with some friends, you know, you guys don't get in any trouble, but right. your seatbelts. That's about the basis. No, we have to ha- run a list. Like not just don't get in any trouble. Don't go here. Right. <laughs> don't do this. Don't do that. Don't wear a hood. Don't put your hands in your pockets. Don't walk down Even- the street. I remember going to the mall when I was, you know, in high school and middle school of, you know, make sure, and some stores have these as rules. When I was younger, this was not a rule, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, don't bring your book bag in the store. Like, even if we just came straight from school, Mm -hmm. you know, and got dropped off, don't take your book bag in the store. Don't even take, and even now as an adult, it crosses my mind to not take a big purse Purse. into the store. And I remember when people first started using reusable bags in the grocery store we were literally like this is some white people stuff I can't yeah. take I can't take my own bag in the store and start putting clothes in it what like they will attack me yeah <laughs> so even now we have that thing of people who were as soon as this pandemic started and they're like wear a mask into the oh store, yeah what? 
you want me as a black woman with locks in my hair looking like mom because I got on sweats and a t-shirt uh -huh. <laughs> I probably have on a hoodie I probably have on a hoodie and some leggings right um, and then now I have a mask on my face you want me to walk in the gas station like this yeah they're going to shoot me yeah <laughs> I, I just don't get to live like that right take off the like that I just don't get to live don't get to live yeah, it's crazy because we have three white children and then we adopted Kendrick and so much changed. We realized in the way that we, the conversations that we have to have with our girls is so drastically different, but we are still educating them on how to have black friends and how to have a black brother because they need to be aware of how to be you know, a good ally, how to be a good friend, how to protect. I want to know, I want to know that conversation, like how, because in two, yeah. two parts, I want to know, because one, how are they receiving the way that he will be treated when he gets older? Yeah. And the conversation we just had earlier of <laughs> they were born into some privilege, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like they are white, they are white women. <laughs> yeah. They are white women. They are blonde. They are they're, and, and, and they're just good people. Yeah. So they're, they're so sweet they, kids. So they like, also probably wouldn't have to acknowledge their privilege mm -hmm. until they're until later, unless you are being the parent you are and teaching them about it because they could just live in this bubble yeah. of that we are really nice, sweet Absolutely. kids who love Jesus and we're white women. Yeah. And, and that it, it is hard because we've had, you know, with our, we have a 10 year old. And so we've had more conversations with her, our eight year old, she's about to turn nine. She's more, we always say she's going to be our activist. She's more conscious of racism and things like that. She notices things. She studies black history. Those things are really important to her. And so I think she's going to be the one that really stands up for Kendrick and fights for her friends. Like several of her best friends are black. And so she's been around it more, which is yeah. great for her to see that. But these conversations that we're like, oh, we never would have had to have this with our girls. We should have had those before we realized. And I think all white women should be having these conversations with their white kids of showing them these are how kids are treated. And for us, it was like, it started with little things. When my girls were little, I would take them to the store. We would walk around the store. I'd let them open a bag of chips, eat snacks no. in the cart. I mean, can you imagine doing that? No. And so now like Kendrick knows one of Kendrick's favorite things to do is go to the gas station and get an icy. It's like a special thing that we do with him, but he knows he does not put his mouth on that straw until we have paid. And he knows that he doesn't open his snack in the store until we have paid. And he's four years old at that age. Like kids don't usually think about those kinds of things, but he knows how important that is that the lady at the gas station sees the money that the people at the store, like they see that we have checked out and then he can open his cookies or his sucker or whatever he's gotten. But we've had to have those conversations with our girls. Like you could do this and get away with this. He can't. Even at yeah. age four, he's had the, our, our neighbor in our, a lady in our neighborhood called the police a few weeks ago because he jumped in her yard when he was riding his scooter to get out of the street when a car was coming. He was riding a scooter. He, he did what we have taught him to do to get to the side of the road. He got on her grass. She called the police that the kids were being out of control. Okay. So now I'm pissed. This issue with calling the police every time something happens has become such a fear in the black community that even when there is an actual crime, 
we don't call the police because we don't want the person to die. Yes. There are people who discourage women sometimes from calling the police on black men, even if the man was actually hurting them because, or like they're in an argument, like they're in a really bad argument and she is afraid and she's scared. But it is it enough to call the police, though, yeah. because and that's horrible that we even have to go there. Right. That is like I I'm actually afraid for my life, but I don't want them to actually die. I just want them to be taken away from my home. But I don't want to call for help because they might kill them. Yeah. Imagine being in that mindset. I don't know if I should call for help for my own safety against someone because I'm also in I've been raised with the mindset of protect black men at all costs. Mm-hmm. So now I don't know if I can call for help because they might shoot him and kill him. Right. <laughs> like this is, this is insane that this is what we operate in. So it's like, I wake up one morning, I have a mod being killed, chased like an animal through the woods, like you're hunting an animal yeah. and killed out while, while jogging. I'll go to sleep. I mourn that. Then I wake up and I have another day of a man being killed, like literally, and I didn't watch the, the video of um, George Floyd. I didn't watch the video. I didn't watch Ahmaud's video. I didn't right. watch George's video. I made a post right after Ahmaud's video, as I said, white people used to gather us under trees and force us to watch them hang the people we cared about. You shouldn't have to watch it. But now we Google it and look for it. I'm like, our ancestors would be like, what? Like, they used to have to be forced to watch it, crying, trying to tear our eyes away from it. And now we're all, like, on Twitter, like, hey, can somebody send me the video? What? Yeah. I don't have to see the video. Mm -hmm. I heard a piece of George Floyd's voice in one of the videos just by accident. And I'm like, I can't listen to this. So it's like, I wake up that morning and I hear a man, like, begging for, he called for his mama. His mom. A grown he man. Called, a grown man called for his mom yeah. because men were holding him to the ground and he couldn't breathe. Then that same day, we have a woman who decides to almost kill her own dog because she can't fathom the fact that a black man who, as we know now, has wonderful credentials. He's an amazing man. <laughs> had the audacity to tell her that she was damaging the ecosystem, basically. So this is all just in the same day. Then I go to sleep, barely. And I wake up today, and now I have a man who is trying to kick three Black men out of a gym of an office building that they pay rent to be in. This is every single day. And I I tweeted this morning, I said, we don't have enough time to fully grieve one tragedy before the next one happens. Like, I I can't process the first one before the next thing happens. And then I'm putting all of that together on top of being a mother and raising children and just explaining to them that this is the world that they live in. And they really, really just want to sit in their house and watch YouTube videos like every other kid. I don't have the luxury of not explaining to them what's going on. I know some people see it differently. I don't think me and their dad don't even quite agree with how we should present but he's also not american either Mm, yeah he's from he's from belize his people were slaves just like mine were because when the slave ships came over from west africa they went in several directions yeah so some boats went to central america and stayed there and the other ones kept going and came here so his people were also taken from africa and became slaves but you know but it was um brought and brought to central america but he doesn't have the civil rights 
Jim Crow, Deep South background that I have. Mm -hmm. So we see things a little bit different in that era, like a lot of civil rights things. And now today, even still, a lot of that stuff doesn't interest him in the same way. It's it's just different. He also doesn't speak with his accent, like ever, Mm -hmm. unless he's speaking to um, like his family. It's almost like, and not trying to say pass, but it's almost like he passes a little bit. Yeah. Whereas I'm fully in that. I was raised in a home, in a home where, you know, Martin Luther King and Angela Davis and Nikki Giovanni. And like, these are people we talked about all the time. Right. He didn't have that. So I feel like it's my job to make sure my children know who these people are and know why they felt this way. A friend of mine put on Facebook this morning and she said, my white friends, please raise your children in a way that they don't grow up and kill mine. And I like that she put that responsibility. That's your responsibility. Yeah, it, is. it is your responsibility to make sure that you raise your children in a way that they don't grow up mm-hmm. and kill mine directly or indirectly. Yes. Because directly would be what happened to George Floyd. Indirectly would be what could have happened to this man in the park. Yeah. When she called the police on him. Like this is, this is not, this is just not okay. And it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. All of these men, they were doing so many great things. Like George Floyd was doing amazing stuff in his community now. And the man who was in the park, his last name is Cooper. I can't remember his first name right now. He was, he's been doing so much, so many amazing things since the eighties, apparently. He's yeah. like an advocate. Been doing so much. And then these young men in the gym who have literally like started their own like tech company or something like they yeah. <laughs> are doing so many amazing things. And it's like, it doesn't matter. So for the people that say, you know, it depends on how you grow up and you can get yourself out of these situations, it does not matter. I am a 32-year-old Black woman with a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, and I run two businesses, and I am active in my church, and I do all these things, and I travel the world doing yoga and ministry and all these things, and when I walk outside, I am another Black woman. None of that matters. They care nothing about any of those credentials i'm a black woman who in some kind of way is infringing upon somebody else's white privilege and i need to be checked i remember after ahmaud was killed people were talking about how they go jogging sometimes in their army sweatshirts Mm -hmm. or their navy sweatshirts and things like that on purpose because it makes them feel a little safer. Huh. They think if someone saw them, they would think they're, they're not a criminal. Why do I have to do that? Yeah. It was a full conversation on Instagram about people in Twitter, about black people saying, well, you know, that's why I always make sure that I run with my Northwestern sweatshirt on, or I have on my Harvard hoodie or whatever, because then maybe they want Oh my God. <laughs> They'll think this person is worthy or a I'm worth, human I'm being. I'm worthy to run. I'm yeah. worthy to be outside and run Yeah, because I was in the army. Because me just being a human, I'm not worthy to go outside right. and run. This is insane. This needs yeah. to stop. And without any real penalties, mm-hmm. it will not stop. The fact that um, Amy Cooper lost her job and her dog, okay, this should right. be a crime. Yeah. This is not okay. If people actually felt like they were actually being penalized and could face actual punishment, Mm -hmm. it would be different. But they know that 
there's so much to just get away with. Nothing, so many times, like they said, the, the police officers have been fired. What Great. else? Now what? Yeah. Like what else is going to happen? They were fired. Do you know that, um, what, is her, what is her name? Brianna, what's Brianna's last name? Is it Taylor? I don't Ta know. The young yeah, I want to say Taylor. I, I think so. I'm not yeah. sure. But um, the young lady who, she's an EMT and the mm -hmm. police, no knock, just came into just her came home in. and shot her several times. Yeah. Her boyfriend was just cleared on the charges they pressed against him mm -hmm. for shooting back. Someone randomly came into my home and started shooting at me and I shot back at them and I got arrested. Yeah. Not this okay. Is, this is not okay. And so it's, it's a lot and it's heavy and people have to actively have these conversations. We have to actively be making yourself aware, actively read the books, call your friends, get together as your church, not just saying, Hey, we recommend you guys watch this. Everybody get in the church together and that big fancy multi, you know, million dollar screen that hangs up, <laughs> watch the documentary on the screen. Like we need to do this. How about, you know what, today we're not going to have a church service today. We're all going to watch this documentary together. Okay. We're going to broadcast it on our YouTube. Okay. That's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what needs to happen. What they need, people need to be active in these local elections. Mm -hmm. Like who are you putting in office? Like if that is very important and you have to like really have people who have a good platform on what their actual plan is. And you know, a politician can't do anything on their own, but I just need to know you have good intentions, at least when you started. Right. Did you start with good intentions? Yeah. And, and, and active intentions about prison reform and things yeah. like that, equal health care. And as a black woman, as I look to my white friends. I need to know you are really, really just here for me and not just saying, I'm so sorry this is happening. Right. Yeah, great. Me too. What else are you what else are you doing? Yeah. That's good. Okay. I don't want to take any more of your time. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your heart, your stories. Um, I'm gonna put some a bunch of things in the show notes if people want more resources. I have some people to connect with if you want to donate um, to help some women on the ground in Minneapolis who are helping with rallies and things like that. I'm going to put all that in the show notes. Um, if you want a tangible way to reach out and do something right now, I'm going to add that in, but thank you so much, Ashley. You are amazing. You. I love you friend. What else are you doing? What a great question. And I think this is the perfect place to wrap up today. I want to speak really quickly to any black women listening today. I just want you to know that you are seen, you are heard. There are spaces that you can just lament that you can be you. And, and I hope that you're finding those spaces today. I hope that you have those safe people in your life that you can cry out to, that you can just be you and know that you're seen and heard. Now I want to take a minute. And I want to speak to the white women that may be listening. Some of this, you may have really struggled to get through this. It may have been uncomfortable, but I think that's good. I think when we get to the point that we get comfortable is when we become the problem. When we call ourselves an ally and we're comfortable in that, that's where we become dangerous. I want you to stay uncomfortable. I want to encourage you to do the work to keep doing the work. 
We are never not racist. We should be working daily to become anti-racist, where we are constantly working against the systems of racism. Now, guys, I am going to put a list of some of my favorite books in the show notes. I was going to read them off to you here, but that just takes too much time. So all you have to do is go to the show notes. You can either go to karakjames.com slash podcast, and then you can find the show notes there. Or in most of your apps, you can just swipe up or swipe left or right and find the notes. But I'm going to put some books that are a great starting point. Maybe you're finding yourself saying, I don't even know where to start. This is a great place to start. Um, And I'm going to link some people to follow and just some great resources to help you do the work. Now, maybe today you're thinking, I want to tangibly do something to help in Minneapolis. Um, I'm also going to put a link there where you can donate to the women in Minneapolis that are on the ground doing the work. So thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for walking through these hard conversations. I hope you're having more and more of them in your lives with people around you. And as we wrap up today, remember that you can always go and follow me on social media. I'm at karakay.james on Facebook and Instagram. And finally, keep asking questions for a friend.